Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the uh, Null Sports Podcast. Kurt Weiler here with Andre Fernandez, Tallahassee Democrat, Florida State beat writers. And Andre, we we had a game. It, It happened, and... It was a better game than both of us thought was going to be. Florida State, uh, a loss. We were both, I guess, right on that, but we were both wrong. And then I think we both thought they were going to lose in the neighborhood of a little more than 10, 10 or so points. And they took them to overtime. Mm-hmm. And it was a, I mean, it was a really impressive performance. You don't want to overreact too much to one week. But, man, was it a week where you said, wow, my, my, my season prediction may not be, may not be right. Yeah, I mean, there's a long way to go, and you're right. But I think, uh, you know, the, I think you, you warned people and said if they did actually do this and they could actually hang tough, it would hurt a ton to come up that short, especially, and, and not only that, but you feel for Ryan Fitzgerald, who had the game literally on his foot. And, I mean, they, they still would have had to stop Notre Dame, but at least it would have given them the advantage, and, and it just sucks in that situation when you miss. But... Up to that point, I mean, to me, it was the resilience because our predictions of, of how lopsided it could be, I mean, the first drive, Notre Dame strikes early like that. You know, Jordan Travis is running around for his life. You know, they're going three and out, tons of pressure, and you're thinking, uh-oh, they may get run off the field if this keeps up. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, Jay Sean Corbin is is running 89 yards doing a Dalvin Cook imitation, and... and Suddenly it's a ball game. And then even down 38-20 late in the game, they claw their way back. Travis goes down. Milton comes in. You have that amazing story. And it was just, it was just it had so many layers to that game. And, you know, you really, obviously outside of the victory, like there's so much that, you, you know, that you, you just look at it and say, wow, maybe this team, yeah, maybe this team, at the very least, I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to change the season prediction yet necessarily, but I do think they do have a better chance of exceeding expectations based on this uh, when you look at the body of work. Now, can it translate and keep it going the next couple of weeks? We'll see. Yeah, and that's the question. I mean, I think the thing is, I think both of us thought in kind of our idea, it looked like we, I think we both thought we were going to be right because I think we both thought they had a chance to be competitive early and just get worn down by a deeper team, a more talented team, a team that wanted to out-physical you, and that's a really tough ask for a first week. So they, they, held, they, they held early. They led, what, early in the third quarter. They led in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. They're, and then they're up 17-14, and Notre Dame rattles off 21 straight points. The, the fourth down decision happens, which... We can get into that. I don't disagree with it, but it played a role in it being 38-20. And we thought, well, they kind of did what we thought. And no, they wore Notre Dame down somehow. I mean, they they didn't run a ton of plays in the first half, and they really dominated time of possession in the second half. And you saw that how that turned the tide of the game. After they were really reliant on big plays, which is, I think, kind of the Mike Norvell MO, and definitely I think what he thought – this team's mo was going to have to be. Yeah, they were very explosive in the first half, and the second half, as they stayed on the field more, as they wore Notre Dame more, and it's 
down. And it's a credit to the defense, the Florida State defense, for getting off the field as much as they did. But uh, did they? They just they were the more physical team for parts of that game, which is a crazy thing that I would not have thought would have played a role in in like it, that, I didn't think that was a realistic possibility. Yeah, there was a lot of role reversal in this game. You know, them them with the running attack racking up you know 264 i think if i'm off the top of my head that was the the rushing total and not notre dame i mean you come into that game a betting a betting man looks at it and goes okay throw the number out there you're thinking it's gonna be notre dame completely flipped the script on that and that was the reason they did wear them down and even at that point at 38 20 i mean that that's up to that point where we thought they'd be competitive something like that and then even at that point you're thinking it'd be a shame if this really gets out of hand and we would have, you know, you would have seen like, you know, 52 to 20, let's say, just throwing a number out there, something where it just really doesn't look indicative of the effort up to that point by FSU. And the stance have emptied out or like are halfway empty by midway through the fourth quarter. And yeah, and you don't get that. I mean, credit to the fans. Because even when, yeah, it looked like it was teetering on the balance. Mm -hmm. That's a situation, especially with what the last few years have looked like, where... It, I mean, it felt like it was hanging in the balance. If it had gone to 45-20, I imagine more yeah. people would have started filing out. But that place stayed packed, and it stayed loud. And they were rewarded with not a win, but really being a part of a really incredible rally. I mean, I think that was I, I looked it up. That was Florida State's biggest rally since they came back from 21 down to tie it, or to take the lead, actually, against North Carolina back in 2016. That was the game where their kicker hit the game winner. Right after Florida State went up and, and did the chop all the way down the field. I actually, he shares my last name. So that one was a, associated with me for for a while. But no, I mean, it, it, it was it was really impressive to see. And it's a credit to those fans. I mean, I'm, it's for so many people on the team, on the coaching staff, just within the program, that was the first time kind of getting the Dope Campbell Stadium experience. I know it wasn't your first time getting the experience, but it was... You haven't been here, I think, was it just the once? And even then, you kind of were on the other side of it at covering Miami or helping with that coverage. So yeah. they were rewarded with a really good game. Yeah, that game, though, I remember that. To, to, for people you know, hearing this, it was the 2015 game where Dalvin Cook went bananas and ran over 200 yards and, and basically won the game for them. I, I don't remember the exact final score, but I know it was a one touchdown or so, maybe like a six-point win, something like that. So it was a good game, a lot of... A lot of drama. It was right around the time where the streak was still going for for the Seminoles in the series with Miami. So I did I did get a taste of basically that was the thing. It was it reminded me of those days when FSU was still fresh off the national championship in 2013. You know, just like two years later, and, and really hadn't sunk to where they had been the, these last couple of years. So it was great to see for them that it is possible to have. I mean, I know that wasn't filled to the brim. You were still about give or take, like, according to the attendance total, about 11,000 under capacity. But it was pretty close to getting back to what Seminoles fans are used to. And so Seminoles players, the team and the coaches are used to seeing when they're in, when they're playing at home, especially when they're playing a big-time opponent like they were this past Sunday. We haven't seen that. Obviously, last year we didn't see that because of COVID and capacity restricted 25% and all that. But even in 2019, I mean, I in doing some research, I looked up and, and saw that that 2019, at, uh, the average attendance that year, and understandably so, I know the program kind of morale with the fan base may have been an all-time low in 2019, honestly, especially like after the Boise State game. Mm. 
and and I remember that that was the lowest average fan attendance I get I think since 1987, and that was I mean the capacity was not at all the same. That's pre any national title. That's right at the beginning of the run of consecutive top five seasons. They were a good program, but by no means what they are now. So yeah, I mean it was uh, it was significant. I mean it, we talked about it, they, they, the the attendance number was what it was, but the bowl itself was almost packed. I did not see nearly... I probably... I don't know if there were, like, a thousand seats. It didn't seem, like, sold in the bowl. Like, they, it was mostly full. Yeah. So I don't know, I guess. It, it, it feels like... I feel like sometimes you hear about people over-inflating that number. It felt, if anything, like an under-inflation of the actual crowd number. Yeah. I am Coming from Miami, where sometimes, you know, Marlins crowds, which are inf- infamous for uh, being extremely low, and sometimes you hear attendance figures that are so high... And you're like, no, there's not. There's, it looks like there's a thousand people here. This was this in reverse because, like you said, I mean, I didn't see entire sections or I didn't even see sections where you could spot empty seats here and there. I mean, it, they're probably, like I said, it, it, it looked like you might, it might not be too capacity, but you're right. It was probably pretty close. But even that being said, the 68,000 or so, let's say that a number is, is right, made it noisy or in it. Especially at the end. I mean, that that place was rocking when it got down to the point where they tied it. I mean, that, that final sequence uh, toward the end, going into overtime, everything. Like, it, it just really generated a great atmosphere. Like, basically like the heyday for FSU. And, and, and that's the thing. That, that That's the kind of crowd you hope that's not just reserved for a game like this. That hopefully maybe... I, I know they're going to face some teams that don't generate the excitement that a Notre Dame does. But... There are still some, you know, especially toward the end of the home schedule coming up. I mean, if NC State is good, that could be one. And definitely if Miami comes in, and especially if both teams are in a situation where they it would warrant maybe even having the game in prime time late at night, you know, which historically FSU has been really good facing the Canes at night. So that could generate a pretty good crowd as well. Yeah, and they're somewhat connected in that I think that on-field performance will make people more willing to maybe come see a, a game that might not be as good. I mean, I'm not sure about – we'll see what the Jacksonville State crowd is this weekend, and I, I won't hold that against people. Thankfully, for those coming, it's a night game. They didn't – I mean, obviously, personally, I would rather that game not be at 8 p.m., <laughs> but you and me I both. realize for the people who aren't sitting in the AC, who are sitting outside, it will be much more comfortable. They'll be more likely to stay toward to the end of the game if it's that night game. Right. But going forward, you're right. I mean, even the Louisville or Syracuse will be interesting because those are games – especially coming off this first week with, with Louisville, we might talk about the ACC and the, the stinker of a week it had. It, it seems even a lot more winnable than it did a couple of days ago. I think we felt decent about it, but it feels a lot more winnable. I think I, it's, it's, it's again, week one overreactions are a classic thing that, that you always talk about the games you look back at at the end of the year, and you're like, how did this week one result happen? Because week mm. ones are finicky. But yeah. it was encouraging, and... Not much else in the ACC was especially encouraging. No, I mean, you you talked about some of the some of the results. I mean, some some stuff was just mind boggling. I mean, even outside the ACC, but but keeping it to the conference. I mean, Georgia Tech dropping that one at home to Northern Illinois after they hadn't won in over a year. That was a that was one that shocked me. I mean, not that Georgia Tech was predicted to be a contender in the Coastal this year, but. At home, that's not a game you should drop for by, by any stretch. And then, even on a bigger picture, you know, well, well, the one result within the conference that was interesting, obviously, is 
Virginia Tech, you know, knocking off North Carolina, and that changes. I mean, that at least, you know, makes the Coastal race a lot more interesting right off the bat. I mean, you had North Carolina the favorite. Now they're up against it. They pretty much can't afford another conference loss, and now it puts Virginia Tech in a possible picture of contending for that division. But but some of the upsets, and then even the performances like Louisville, you know, Malik Cunningham had a decent game against Ole Miss, but that was pretty much it. I mean, they were they were dominated on the defensive side of the ball by a pretty high-powered Ole Miss uh, passing attack with, with Matt Corral. I mean, yeah, it's a tough day, and, and, and in the end, I mean, they, they don't have the W to show for it, but I think FSU can hang their hat on. They carried the flag pretty well, at least for one night, you know, for, for an otherwise dismal week. Yeah, I mean, so we should talk more about, I mean, obviously, Florida State. And we expected it to be the ground game coming into the year. And obviously, you talked about Jay Sean Corbin. And I thought we expected kind of from Mike Norvell's track record. Unless he has one exceptional running back, which I'm not sure is the case this year. I'm not sure he has a guy who's going to be like a top two run round draft pick type of guy. I love high on Jay Sean Corbin. I think Lawrence Toafili has a bright future. Even Trayshawn Ward, I know he's drawn comparisons to a, the the not saying talent level, but the Devontae Freeman type of runner, and you can see that. So I think that, I mean, they on a night where Jordan Travis, your starting quarterback who was your leading rusher last year, was almost entirely neutralized. I mean, the running backs stepped up to the plate in a big way and I mean on a night where Notre Dame's running backs who killed you last year did not yeah and, and I think even more so I mean they definitely did Jay Sean in particular I mean one stat I, I did some some homework today on, on a story that just came out on on uh, Tuesday night you know looking at a lot of the pro football focus numbers for off the game a lot of yards after contact which just shows you the tough runner that he is I mean some of it was inflated by that long run but still you know, not just him, but even Trayshawn Ward as well had some of that. And then I know you're talking about the backs, but I thought one of the biggest keys was just the way that the offensive line came together, especially on the running game. I mean, you look at it some of the from some of the analytics, it didn't matter where, which direction they were running or which lineman they were running behind almost. I mean, they were... The only, the only spot where they didn't really attack too much was on the right side, uh, ironically enough, where Corbin broke his run, you know, behind right tackle. But outside of that, if they were going up the middle, if they were going off the left side of the line between the tackles, they were having a decent amount of success. And that just shows you how, how, how much cohesion that line had when it came to the run blocking scheme and were able to, to just continue. And that's why they wore them down in the second half. So that was encouraging. They had some problems in pass protection. We know that. I mean... Darius Washington probably had the best game of all of the linemen in, in that uh, regard, and we know, but we know, you know, Maurice Smith came into the game banged up, you know, didn't last more than a half. Bavion Johnson had to come in in relief of him in the second half, and both of them kind of struggled when it came to the pass blocking that sort of thing. But you know, I, in general, I thought that what they accomplished on the ground game, you know, spoke a lot about what they're going to be able to do this season once they can. You know, maybe once they're a little more, you know, a little closer to 100% healthy, especially in the middle there. Yeah, and we'll have to keep an eye, obviously, on the Maurice Smith situation because I know he was thought to be your, your starting center coming into the year. He was, I mean, throughout camp and, and was dealing with some stuff in the lead up to the game. That was something we kind of saw and weren't entirely limited to talk about, but then it, it, it reared its head in the game where he played and then there reached a point where. I know he didn't grade out too well. He was definitely trying to help the team, but I think they reached a point where 
it was no longer helping and just being more of a hindrance despite a pretty admirable effort to try and play through that. I think it begs the, I mean, it begs saying, and obviously the pass blocking is connected to how successful drives are going to be, especially early when Florida State was behind the chains a lot. Mm. It was interesting as the games went on, I do think Florida State's offensive line improved somewhat in pass blocking. It seemed like Notre Dame also blitzed less. I mean, they, they had four sacks in the first half on 26 Florida State offensive plays. And yeah. in the second half, Florida State ran 48 offensive plays, almost twice as many, and only allowed one sack. Yeah, and, and that's but, and it's interesting that they did that and kind of unfortunate for on their side of it because – you, it was look at, yeah, if you if you look at well, the, even Jordan Travis, take take him for example, he was drastically better. I mean, every quarterback is better with a clean pocket, but this was like a stark difference between well, what he was doing when he had time to throw, and when he was being blitzed. When he was being blitzed, he did nothing. Like it was one for five for ten yards, and two of his picks came on blitzes. So why they abandoned doing that for a long period of time when, when you could have rattled him more or at least try to continue to put that pressure on him beats me. But it just shows you that when in FSU took advantage and, and you know they were able to get some traction whenever this didn't happen. But I, I don't know. I was very surprised that they weren't as aggressive, especially considering their new, co- you know, their new coordinator, Marcus Freeman, is known for really bringing it and, and having an aggressive defensive scheme. And he did early. And they, they went away from it. It was yeah. interesting because, I mean, they were not only were they sacking, but they were, they were limiting what Jordan could do with his legs, and they were pressuring him into some mistakes. I mean, Kyle Hamilton, who, I mean, we knew is, he's an unbelievable player. He's going to be the rare safety who's taken in it maybe as high as, like, the top ten of next mm. year's NFL draft. I mean, he's the, the one pick he had, Mike Gravel probably couldn't say enough about it today. He talked about how he's probably one of the better – individual plays by a DB he's ever seen. And it was an insane play to come over from the far safety, just see what was happening, read it, and come full sprint. I mean, you see the back viewer. He's flying into the screen. It makes that diving pick. And live from the press box, it's not the best view for close-ups like that, obviously. Iowa didn't look like he got feet down. It looked like he just went full vertical, caught it, and didn't get anything down. And you watch the replay, and he, he, he drags his foot and got a knee down. Yeah. I mean, it, he's insane. No, but it was also... It was a late, ill-advised, underthrow pressure by Jordan. And the first pick was more egregious. That one was a really remarkable play. But both were late throws where the lesson is you, you got to throw it away, even if it's third down. Because uh, a punt is better than – that's an arm punt somewhat, but a punt's better, especially with Matt Trabano in the game he had. Yeah. A, ba- a bad NFL team after this season is going – their pass defense is going to get a lot better when they when they choose – when they draft Jeez, Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton next year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and look, it's – again, it begs the question that I guess people are wondering or maybe people think Jordan Travis already will start week two for sure, but Mike Norvell hasn't come out and said that. You know, I asked him at the end of the game the other day and kind of gave one of those, you know, answers that he loves the quarterback room and that he's kind of what he's kind of been saying throughout camp. And then even today, like it wasn't directly asked, but didn't you know kind of was talking about both guys, complimentary in one sense, and with Jordan saying that there were still mistakes, like you said, that he needed to correct. And the depth chart comes out, and again, it's an either or. So the big question to me is like, is this is this going to be for now a week to week, seeing what after what happened, or is it Travis's job at this point, or does he go with McKenzie? Like, who who can who starts, and is there a starter? already 
if Jordan Travis is that guy, is it his job to lose? Like, these are questions we don't know yet. I mean, I don't know if we're going to even know until, again, until Saturday night when they're kicking off against Jacksonville State and they're putting the starters up on the Jumbotron. And we may not really know until Wake Forest because yeah. I think they're both going to play Saturday. I think Chubba Purdy is probably going to play Saturday. I mean, they're going to be – I haven't even seen the line, but the FBS, FCS, it's always a monster line. They're expected to win going away. They're expected to get the second and third team guys plenty of reps. So yeah. I'm not even sure how much – we will learn, and that's why I think Mike Norvell can especially kind of live in that co-starter world for at least one more week. But say, especially against Wake Forest, and even I would say against Jacksonville State, I suppose if it's Jordan and then Jordan, that tells you something. Yeah. I mean, it, what McKenzie did was remarkable, and we should talk about. I mean, it's the end of an incredible journey for him that few people but himself thought he could realistically do. I mean, I talked to his his surgeon for a story back in March about how, how he doesn't think anybody's ever done this and that he thought it was impossible and his goal is to get him to walk. But the truth is, it may have happened later, but we don't get that moment Sunday, at least I'm not sure we do, if Jordan's helmet doesn't come off. Jordan yeah. was also cramping. I know that's why Mike Norvell said he, doesn't, he didn't go back in the game, but if he had already been cramping and was just playing through it, the helmet's what changed that, it seemed like. Yeah, well, the helmet prompted it for sure. I mean, I don't, yeah, you're right, we'll never know, but I think he probably could have toughed it out and kept going potentially if that doesn't happen. And then yeah, that's the whole thing. Maybe that doesn't, does he lead the charge and, and, and help them get those final 10 points to force overtime or, or even potentially two TDs to win it in regulation? We don't know. So that's the thing. But McKenzie did, you know, Credit to him, like just like Norvell said, and he stayed. He was in the moment. He was engaged throughout the game from the sideline, and he was ready to go and answered the call. The first play, he hits a pass downfield, keeps a drive going. He was in rhythm pretty much from from the get go, and that that's the admirable part. You know, there was no coming in and and looking rusty and 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 the drive stalling immediately. No, he kept them going and sparked and, and completed the comeback. And you know, that's something. To me, that's like you have to take into consideration, and and we'll see, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll see if he if he wants Jordan to have another chance and and keep trying, or if he's gonna have to make a change. Yeah, you say, and you're right. And, and what what McKenzie did in the game is admirable. But really, I think I think I was really impressed by two was how McKenzie, who no doubt came to Florida State to start, he did not come to 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 come off the bench. Even if he got the lead, the come, the come back and get his moment how he, throughout the entire game, was always the first one there talking to him with Mike Norvell when Jordan came off the field after drives. And then Jordan gets hurt, and when McKenzie comes off after leading that touchdown drive that Jordan started, Jordan's right there talking to him. I mean, it, 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 you, I feel like, it, especially at the quarterback, there's just the reputation for divas. And it does not. it seems like Florida State has two, by all accounts, stand-up guys. I mean, I've heard that from plenty of people about McKenzie Milton and ditto Jordan Travis, and, I mean, you're seeing it. Yeah, and not just divas, but there's also like, over you know, you always you, at times you see like jealousy between them because it's natural. Because oh, it's, it's the nat- transfer portal is real. Yeah, it's it's natural. I mean, you want to start, sure. you want to go somewhere where you have the chance to play the most, all of that. So I mean, yeah, that's what I think. Credit to them if this indeed if they it, it seems like they support each other well and they're not, you know, trying to up, upstart the other one at least you know like in terms of not being there and not being supportive for one guy's success over another, maybe that makes it work. I mean, maybe this is a thing where it's going to be like this, you know, shared between the two guys in some way throughout the season. And if it does, 
the fact that their their attitudes toward it seem to be like this helps. I mean, that, that Nor- Norvell wins the lottery when it comes to that because rarely do you see that kind of chemistry between two competi- competing quarterbacks. We should definitely uh, uh, talk about the defense as well. I mean, the fact that they gave up 41 points, gave up 38 points in regulation, regulation sorry, mm. it doesn't speak to, in a lot of ways, the, the job that that side of the ball did. I mean, obviously, there was a, definitely the sense of, oh, no, here we go again on the first drive when it was, what, I think a five-play, 75-yard mm. touchdown drive. Mm. It was a big Michael Mayer catch on the first play. It was a coverage bust that led to, like, a 40-plus-yard touchdown for Mayer. The, it was basically the Michael Mayer drive, yeah. Yeah, well, it was, it was I mean, <laughs> when your tight end has 120 yards and is the leading receiver in the entire game, it's kind of yeah. the Michael Mayer game. He's, he's going to make a bad NFL team in two years a lot better on the offensive yes. side. Yes, but no, but when that happens early, there's definitely the sense of, oh no, here we go again. But what they did from there, I mean, I think Notre Dame on its next four drives didn't score any points, and while the offense was sputtering out, the defense, the defense, I mean, just kept them from getting buried where the crowd may have gotten out of it, where the team may have gotten discouraged early on. Yeah, I mean, three and a half sacks from the DNs. I mean, I saw today. That that was you know more than they had all of last year, which is amazing. It's yep. a, it shows you how amazingly bad they were at, at pass rush last year. But at the same time, yep. you know how good they how good of a start they had. And Jermaine Johnson from the from the first play on defense almost, he was in he was in the backfield. He was disruptive. ACC defensive lineman of the week and well deserved after his one and a half sacks. And and even diving deeper into that, Keir Thomas. You know, I think from again going back to what I, the the PFF research that I did, he had the highest pass rush grade. You know, Quayshon Fuller, small sample size, but he looked good on the pass rushing as well. So you see little bits of why you know they were so disruptive. But I, but credit has to go too to that run defense. Sixty five yards on 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 thirty five attempts overall. You know, I mean that's less than two yards. 18 rushes they had were for two yards or fewer. I mean, they, they, they took away one of Notre Dame's maybe, you know, their biggest strength on offense, forced them to throw, which is what you wanted them to do. Unfortunately, yep. secondary had some trouble, you know, on some of those plays. And, and and really not a lot of so much breakdowns, but Notre Dame's receivers who, who weren't, you know, pretty unheralded, you know, kind of unproven guy, you know, I guess had to look back, you know, probably has to do a better job of looking back at the last minute to, to, to make a play on that. But it's not like he was burned completely, you know. So th- those guys made plays and, and to their credit got the passing game going. But tremendous job by, by FSU's run defense, which, again, was the other concern, having given up like 200 yards per game last year. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. You You – you dared Jack Cohn to beat you, and Jack Cohn, in the end, did did beat you. I mean, he didn't do much in the overtime, but he put them in the position, gave them that cushion where even when Florida State rallied, they were positioned well, and they, they took care of it in overtime. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, his history didn't project him being capable of that. Obviously, comparing Wisconsin's offense to Notre Dame's offense is, is not apples to apples. It is, uh, they're noticeably different. Notre Dame has always kind of been 
somewhat willing to take those shots and, and credit to Jack Cohn. I mean, the, the throw to Kevin Austin was unbelievable. The one, the other one, the first touchdown that Travis Jay allowed caught by, was it Joe Wilkins mm-hmm. was actually his only catch of the game was an incredible play where it was an underthrown ball. Travis Jay positions himself well to come away with the pick. If he gets that head around, but it's Wilkins who notices first makes, like you said, the ridiculous play, but the, the Kevin Austin play, the, Far side end zone, just where it's perfectly right in his hands. There's not really not anything Travis J can do. I mean, Lord, it, it, it's <laughs> promising though. In that, I was at all those games last year. There were games where Florida State definitely tried to stop the run and stack the run, to stack the box to stop the run, and we're like, if you're going to beat us, Malik Cunningham, you're going to beat us through the air, and. They no, they, they they Louisville ran all over them. A lot right. of teams ran all over them. They were worst in the ACC. It's, I think we're going to see over the course of the season. I think a a noticeably better defense just because of that year of ex- full experience, the regular offseason under Adam Fuller's tutelage. Yeah, I mean it all starts. I mean it always starts up front, and and in this case, I think it definitely you saw the difference. You saw the difference of bringing in these guys on the edges but you really saw the difference that you're talking about in the middle with with guys like you know with guys like Fabian Lovett you know Cooper had a pretty good game as well I mean you look at also I I think a lot of credit goes too to the linebackers because they they did a they did an amazing job too I mean even like the 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 analysis of it DJ Lundy and Kalen Deloach were two of the best tackles like you said was getting gashed all the time by by different running games whether it was louisville whether it was these same this same notre dame team in south bend that ran all over them you know these guys weren't missing gaps they were more disciplined they were making the tackles they missed a few here and there but for the most part it was one of the better comparing it to to just the way that teams tackled throughout the nation this year florida state ranked in about the top 35 on tackling metrics overall which tell, I mean, every game was different. You know, you, you see, it's only week one, but that's not bad. That's not bad at all compared to where they were coming from from a year ago. No, you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, you talk about Kalen Deloach. I mean, the play that obviously it's a play that I think some people think, and uh, it's fair, was was monumental in the eventual outcome when Notre Dame's up. Well, I think it was twenty-four to twenty, and they're facing third and seventeen after the. Quayshon Fuller tackle for loss, and after then the Quayshon Fuller sack on consecutive plays. And Adam Fuller dials up a blitz that was probably a bit over-aggressive. In fact, he, he went so far as to say it, Notre Dame made a great call against a bad call. That he dialed up a blitz, Notre Dame dialed up a slip screen to Kyron Williams that went for 55 yards because there was no one left, and Notre Dame had that convoy of blockers. Yeah. Kale Deloach, who blitzed on the play, got all the way back downfield and, and made a tackle 55 yards down after he had been in the backfield. I mean, that's it, it. It was not a perfect execution game. And Adam Fuller said today that was a play he showed his defense, even though it was one of their worst executions. And, and he had said a bad play call because of the effort. And that's his big thing. He said, "You're not going to play perfect. I don't. I can't expect you to play perfect, but I can't expect you to play hard." Yeah. And they did for four quarters, and they gave them. I mean, obviously. 38 points is 38 points. Time will tell how good that Notre Dame offense is overall. overall. But they they gave them a chance, especially what they did late. 
just getting, I mean, I, what was the series? Was it the series before Florida State tied it when it was 38-35 when they they went off sides, it was first and five, and they still forced a three and out? Yeah, I believe so. It sound, sounds right. And I mean, that's... Yeah, that's clutch. I mean, how many times do you see that and it's easily converted and then they go on and continue to milk the clock? I mean, clutch, completely clutch. And then what you're saying about the Loach, hustle plays like that, you know, those that's that's what wins games. I mean, it didn't win this game, but it will at some point. You're going to see hustle plays like from him or someone else, and it's going to make a difference, and it's going to flip the table in their in their favor the next time because that's tremendous. And, and then not just hustle, but tremendous athleticism to be able to even – I mean, you can hustle all you want and have the heart to get down the field, but you need the, the body to respond to, and his did. So good job on that one. Yeah, I mean, they're – their their defense looks like it's going to be an interesting mix of those those experience like the the infusion of experienced transfers guys like Jermaine Johnson, Keir Thomas, Jamie Robinson. I thought had a really good game and younger guys. There's there's not a lot of in between. A guy like an Emmett Rice when he whenever he is able to make it back from his injury, yeah, will will have a role and he'll be that guy who's a Florida State guy through and through. Had his whole career here. Will be a sixth year senior. But on the whole, it's a lot of first second third year players and then those transfers yeah yeah it's a it's an it's definitely an interesting mix you know you got the veterans with these younger players and you're starting to see you you have you have that pride of they haven't been here too long maybe you know they haven't been fsu guys for a long time but i think they're gelling so well in this past year these past you know eight nine months since they transferred in and, and, and Norvell talked about that, where he wanted to have an expectation, you know, for these guys, that they weren't just coming here and finishing out and, and whatnot, but that they were going to be leaders. And, you know, it's translating well. You're seeing it. You're seeing all the talk, all the stuff that sounds cliche about leadership and this and that. You hear it all the time. But the results are, show, are backing it up, at least so far, at least through one pretty memorable near victory this week they they you're starting to see why it's working they're working well together because they had they not had cohesion on both sides they don't pull they don't even get this this type of a result you know that to be as close as it was yeah i mike norvell of course he's never going to come out and say anything to the effect of calling anything a moral victory i know i think he said as much last year i think i asked him about after the notre dame game last year that was pre-North Carolina. That was a game where they led through one quarter, where they never gave up, even though they were kind of being kept at arm's length for a lot of the second half. And I know he was proud of them, but he said as much of saying, we're, we're not calling this a moral victory. That doesn't exist for us. It's a victory or it's a loss. But for just about everybody else not directly involved in the program, it's hard not to see it as a moral victory. Yeah. For what it did for the fan base and his goodwill there, for what it did when they bet on themselves and having big recruiting, how big of a recruiting weekend it was, it's hard not to see how big that was. I think for just the national media's perception of the team, it was a really big deal coming out and doing that week one against a Notre Dame team that, yeah, we don't know a lot about them yet, but they, they, we think they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, it, it, It's hard to overstate how big it was, given they could turn around and, and blow some of that goodwill pretty quickly if the next two weeks don't go great. <laughs> but... As of now, try not to overreact to, uh, to to one game too much. I think you feel a decent amount better about Mike Norvell. Just and, and, and you, not that you didn't last year, because I think most people are realistic about it. But I think it shows 
that the climb is working. You saw the culture of the team, I think, is is legitimately changing for the first time since it got so bad in the end of Jimbo Fisher's tenure. I, I always like the coaches that that that's that talk the way he does in the sense of like I don't like moral victories and all that. Yeah, because don't 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 settle. Don't settle. Go for the always have that killer mindset yep. of, of going for it all and even when you're <laughs> You have to be a little realistic sometimes, you know, like they, they, the position they were in last year, that sort of thing. But there's nothing wrong because that's how you instill the winning culture. That's how you instill that hunger into your players that, and, and not to, the, you know, not to be satisfied with defeat. And I think he's teaching that to this group. And in the long run, it's, it's going to translate. It really, I, I think it will. And then what you're talking about now, yeah, you don't want to turn around and, and give, it all, give it all away. And I, but I don't think they will. I don't think that this, this game coming up, definitely, I think they'll – They'll be. I would be shocked if they're not determined and focused and in taking care of business this next week against Jacksonville State. The ones, the one in particular that I think I feel a little better about is the Wake Forest game, which again we're getting ahead a little bit, but that's the that's the one on the road. And Wake Forest is going to be another challenge. We'll talk more about them when we get to that point. But their offense is really good. They have a, they have a veteran starting quarterback, third year starter for them at that. It was going to carry them, you know. They're, they're, I, I think that's going to be a. Speaking of how good, this, how much better this defense is through one game, we're going to really know how much better they are after they face that challenge. No doubt. Uh, so you you say like let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think we are allowed to say that. Now, if the team is out <laughs> here not d- disgracing Jacksonville State, then I would be a little worried. If, if a player has already talked about Wake Forest, yeah. But no, I think we're allowed to look. I mean, we should talk about Jacksonville State a little. Obviously, this is the second straight year Florida State's playing them. Last year it was, I think, 41-17 was the final, but it was a game where Florida State was 41-24. You, you, you gypped them some points there. It's 41-24. 24. My yeah. mistake. My mistake. <laughs> it was, I think, 17 was, I think they were up, were they up 21-7? Yes, they, they, they were up 21-7 last year. And yeah. everyone and, was and already coming off was, two losses. People were in panic mode, I'm sure. Oh, very much so. Because they started true freshman Tate Rodemaker. It was not going well. I mean, if you thought if you thought Jordan Travis didn't acquit himself very well, kind of under pressure last year, Tate Rodemaker was just not ready for that scene. He was not. He he froze a little, and that was kind of the the birth of Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis was used some as a, really almost entirely a rusher in the end of 2019 after Willie Taggart was fired. But that was kind of the birth of him, where he led that comeback, and then the next week was Notre Dame, where they didn't win, but he had a hell of an individual game. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't expect that this year. I would be a little worried if that happened this year, just because I think this program's in a better place. I think the culture's in a better place. I think the roster's in a better place. Jacksonville State is, I mean, they were in the play, the FCS playoffs last year. I, they could be back this year. They got Zarek Cooper, their quarterback. Mm. I think someone mentioned today is about to become the program's all-time leading passer. Yeah, I mean. I mean, it's a credit to him. He's a former Clemson kid yeah. who got went the FCS route after realizing I think he didn't really have a path on, to the field mm. at Clemson. And he's, he's kind of made himself a, an FCS legend. He's one of those guys who's been there a number of years and has been a real standout for them. Well, I mean, he's a dual threat guy. I mean, you're going to see a lot, a few of those quarterbacks this season. So I think this is a good way to prepare for that. You know, early on, totally different type of offense that they that they faced this past week with Notre Dame, and at least in, at least schematically with him there. And you know, I, I like hear Thomas's quote today. They do all that eye candy stuff. You know, all that like misdirection with the read option and all that. 
but it's good. It's a, I mean, maybe not with the personnel that of of another of some of the better ACC teams, but at least the style you get to see that type of an offense. You get, you get to play against that type of offense, and that'll just prepare you, make you better for for down the road. And you were talking about it, you know, earlier in terms of the quarterback, like Chubba Purdy. This is the type of game he'll get in. A lot of the defensive guys, a lot of the freshmen, we were expecting to 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 get some some reps didn't get in yet in this game this is the type of game where they probably might especially if they can make it a a route early and start to get some of those backups and those are quality snaps quality you know playing time that's going to serve them well in the long run because the more you can get those 2021 guys some experience you know against whoever that's going to help because you're going to you know we've talked about it you're going to be very reliant on hopefully all the influx of talent that's going to come in here that that they hopefully they can bring in over the next couple of years so what better opportunity than now for some of those guys? We saw Malik McLean have an impact already last week. Uh, this past week, I'm saying uh, Kevin Knowles played a little bit, not as much as we thought, but you know got his feet wet in there. But there's still other guys that they were high on this fall camp as being you know a little bit ahead of schedule that haven't been on the field yet. This is that game. No doubt. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, last year was different because last year they knew going into the year no one was losing the year of eligibility. So, like, you didn't have to worry about, like, where if you wanted someone to redshirt, you'd only play them in four games. That's back in place this year where they've kind of talked about having to figure out which guys they probably want to limit to maybe only appearing in no more than four games if they're going to play and which guys they're not worried about redshirting who are going to appear in probably every game. A guy like Malik McClain, probably a Kevin Knowles, Shaheen Brown, maybe even a Josh Farmer. Mm. I think the main candidates there, there are a couple other wild cards. I think this is a game, you're right. I mean, This is a valuable time where when you didn't get in many of those guys, I think a lot of those guys are going to see the field because they can play in in four. I think this and UMass are clear examples of games Mm. these guys can get in, and it's possible for a decent amount of guys, but they might play in two games all year. But those two are valuable experience. No doubt. No doubt. And, yeah, those two definitely would be the ones. Yeah, Shaheem Brown had, had didn't, you know, we saw him flash a lot during uh, during fall camp and, and show you what he may be able to contribute to this team. He didn't get on the field yet. He didn't get on the field at all against Notre Dame. So he's one to look out for. Patrick Payton's another one. There's a lot of guys that, you know, would it, it would make it fun in the second half to see what they can do a little bit. We uh, will get that chance. It's uh, unfortunately for those of you uh, in in a lot of the country, it's a uh, ACC network game. Yeah. So if you're not going to be there, if if you are one of the many Comcast people who who have not gotten one of the streaming mm. services and get at you, and I'm sure you could find a a restaurant, a bar near you, something of that sort that uh that to, to have that'll have the ACC network for you. Yep. I don't think, I mean, by all accounts, I don't think this is going to be a problem that much longer, but it is still a problem. It uh, It is pretty remarkable that it is, but it, a, it is what a, it is. It's almost over. Yeah. It's I think this is going to be the last football season you're dealing with it. Yep. But. And, and it's a statewide issue. I can tell you from where I was before, a lot of people down there cringe every time that ACCN comes on the, the schedule because they're like, great, I don't have it. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. I like your, like, hesitancy to, like, you're almost treating like Miami like it's like a Voldemort. Like you're just like afraid to say its name out of fear for. I know where I, I know where I live now. I know <laughs> I, I know I, I trust me and and, and yeah, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. But 
But yeah, no, it where in my in where I come where the place that must not be named. Uh, there was a lot of people who were uh, who were very upset at not seeing their green and orange team because of the ACC network not being available. So let's just say that now I see the the same thing happening here in Tallahassee. I get it. I get it because it was frustrating there. But I mean, YouTube TV is not not that hard to get people. I mean, I think I think you can. That that that's a big problem solver. For the time well, being. and you can go month to month, can't you? And it should only be a couple months. And this, I, by all accounts, I think this is going to be the last football season you have to deal with this. That I think by by early next year, I think is the latest where like it should be added and it should be on Comcast. And I mean, obviously, that's a, the last big domino to fall, and it would be big for the ACC financially. But yeah. you know, I mean, I agree. I've had good experiences with Hulu. I've had good experiences with with YouTube. Do get ready for those tweets, though, because those tweets are are coming. Of, of you tweet about a touchdown, and you're gonna get the oh, I wish I could see it. Right. Oh, that so. touchdown looked great on my dark screen here, where I can't see anything. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, what's the rest of the slate this week? Like, what are the big games? Where if you're not watching Florida State, what are you watching? Um, I thought LSU was involved in a in a. Well, is it, aren't they playing Oregon? I believe not this no, week. Ohio State's playing. Ohio Oregon. State's playing Oregon. I'm sorry. Yeah, Which, I knew it was uh, Oregon was involved somehow. It'll be interesting. I feel like that one could go either way because what's interesting, what's really interesting, is that's a noon game on Fox. Yeah. So I guess I will get to watch that game right before heading in, which I am I am okay with. <laughs> I'm definitely okay with that myself. There's a lot of there's what, a lot of cupcake blowout games this week though. Yeah, it's interesting. It used to be a lot of teams played kind of cupcakes week one. Yeah. And it seems like now. Obviously, a conference game, if that's good schedule, that's kind of out of their hands if they kept that week free. But I feel like a lot of times now you see the pr- the, the big mashups in week one yeah. and then the more cupcakes in week two. Obviously, that was the Florida State. Well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll say the forbidden name now. Miami coming off the debacle and, and, and severe drilling that Alabama gave them. Now Alabama turns around and plays Mercer at home. Speaking of cupcakes. Well, did you see that, actually, that we should talk about that Nick Saban quote from the other day? No. What did he say? Oh, yesterday at his press conference, I think the, he had asked about Mercer, and his quote was just like, they're a different kind of offense. <laughs> just a bit. Just well, a one bit. that's not going to score. Or, or, oh, we also have Iowa State, Iowa yep. Speaking of uh, Chubba. We'll, we'll get to watch that one probably from the press box. Yep. And Chubba, it's at 4.30. Chubba's brother in, in a big game there. No doubt. They uh, they didn't look great week one. Iowa looked amazing, so that'll be an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it, it, hopefully for, for, for those, I, I hope you have a way of watching because, I mean, these games can be fun. It's nice to have what should be a relatively uh, stress-free game. I mean, I say that. Now I'm just speaking it into existence. But I would be, and I think it sounds like you agree, pretty shocked if, if there's much sweating out of this game. No, I, I totally. I don't. I don't see. I think this. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the last the last time there definitely was, but we understood the situation that they were in. Coming off this past performance, this past week, it it really should not. And I think it's not just because you you can you've seen over the years games where you're in it and you have you pull off a scare like this, and it's fluky. This didn't feel fluky overall this felt like there was a real substance to this near upset and i think that's why you feel more confident about this team at the very least having a shot at exceeding expectations this year so yeah i don't i think they'll take care of business 
you know, easily this week. And then, you know, and then, and that's the thing. And then let's see what they can do. I mean, that's a tough road test again, you know, going to Winston-Salem against the team that's well-coached. And like we talked about earlier with Hartman, there at quarterback, that they're a dangerous squad and, and really quick. One, one little thing, if you're talking about the overall uh, landscape of, of games this week, if you're in the staying late, watching tv after the fsu game or maybe you were at the fsu game and you and you go home and want to catch the end of something two good ones on the west coast utah byu and stanford usc if you're into those pac-12 or just west coast games in general uh i feel like clay helton's seat would get uh, mighty hot mighty fast if <laughs> if they were to drop to that stanford team that looked pretty abysmal last week against kansas state yeah i just meant from the rivalry standpoint in stanford and no, usc no, but no no doubt yeah, but it's something. I mean, I, again, this isn't a great week for a lot of these. Those two, those two we talked about earlier are the only games between ranked opponents. Everything else yeah. is either a mismatch or a rivalry where someone's really down. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have. I mean, we'll have plenty of coverage from the Jacksonville State game next week. Will no doubt be nice. the The Sunday game, Florida State, kind of getting the, the all the national eyes for its Notre Dame game, especially with how it went, was great for them. It was tough from a coverage standpoint, just of how chaotic the last uh, few days have went. But went, but now things are stabilizing. Now, I mean, we have unless we have Saturdays the rest of the the rest of the way. I don't think they're not rescheduling anything this year. I don't. So, I mean, it's it's Saturdays or bust. Knock on wood about the rescheduling. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, it's probably actually. Yeah, I, I wonder after Florida State last week talking about that was. Over 90% of the guys who started the process, I wonder what he would say now if asked about where his team's at with regard to that. Right. Talk, thinking out loud here. But no, yeah, we'll have... Yeah, sorry about that. And you're good. And uh, it, it, things will stabilize. We'll have... Um, that, we'll have that's, what, that's what happens, people, when you're looking up ESPN scores. Then their their generic commercial comes up and that sort of thing. So sorry yeah, about the glitch. I had one earlier <laughs> that I think showed up when I was looking up that Jacksonville State score. It's the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's the dangers of research, I suppose. I thought we were being walked off, like we're out of time, we got to go, you know, that that sort of thing. But it sounded to me like yeah. dogs barking. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was some rah rah, you know, on the college football page commercial. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll have coverage from the game next week leading up to. I think what we agree and we'll talk more about, like you said, is a very important game against Wake Forest. So we we will have plenty more. We. Uh, Appreciate those who have subscribed to the podcast, those who subscribe to the website, those who follow us on Twitter. I would I would encourage you to do all of the above, as that's I mean, obviously we're going to be dropping these with a good regularity during the season. I think we might start doing two a week. It didn't really warrant it this week because we don't need a separate preview pod entirely for Jacksonville State. Yeah, but it's it's it is I think something that we're going to do more of going forward, and we're going to cover the uh the other stuff as well do you want to we should talk some soccer here at the end we said we would last week there is possible somebody came back for the soccer talk so (laughs) yeah and you should come back for the number one team in the country in in women's soccer right now you know defending national honor up there they're playing like it let me tell you they're five matches so far they're barely this team doesn't just get not give up they've given up a couple of goals three goals actually in their last two matches is interesting part but on just three shots which just tells you if you can actually get past their defense, then and, and you better take advantage and better score, which Colorado and the Gators did, but really inconsequential in both matches because uh, you know Gators with their their score early was 
you know, the FSU rallied in, in a hurry, overcame that, gave up a garbage one at the end. In general, this it, Mark Corey and the coach over there, we've talked to a few times since the season started, this is saying something because he's had some really good squads, a couple of national championship squads over there, and he thinks this may be the deepest team he's ever had. And it's hard to argue with him because he returned 10 starters, a lot of good freshmen that a couple of them have already gotten in and scored in, in these early matches. And they have played a few teams that are overmatched, but not everyone because the, the opener with Texas A&M, was a, they were ranked ninth in the country. It went down to the wire. They scored in the final minute and a half. And they're going to play a pretty good Auburn team coming up on Sunday. That game is on TV as well. Um, for anyone interested, I, I think it's on ESPNU, I want to say, at 3 o'clock. So if anyone you know is coming off the, the big Saturday night watching the Knowles football team and wants to see a little soccer and see what this team is all about, I think uh, that'll, be a good, that'll be a good chance right there. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to go back to the uh... – the, the vaunted ACC network and say that I'm sure a lot of their stuff, a lot of their conference matches, which are going to be some really good ones. Them, North Carolina, always play some barn burners. Virginia is, I know, the big high-profile home game late in the season. Duke can present some challenges for them from time to time just with how they bunker. Uh, those are probably going to be on the ACC network, either ACC network or ACC network plus, I would say, probably for the most part. So, I mean, it's but again, I mean, you're right. It's a, I, I covered that team. I, I, I built quite the working relationship with Mark over a couple of years, and it's uh, he has that thing going in a major way. I mean, they, they have been a kind of machine before, but for a team that won the t- national title in 2019, came one win away from the per- perfect season in, in program history last year, and are now just number one again and just churning again through non-conference. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it is, if, if you are are a fan of just watching a dominating team, you should be following that team. Yeah, they have Florida Gulf Coast on Thursday in a game that won't be on TV, but a game that they should, you know, theoretically should handle and go to 6-0 and and then comes Auburn. It is ESPNU, I'm checking right now. And as you said, Kurt, ACC Network, September 23rd against Pitt, ACC Network Extra for the ACC opener, which is September 18th against Boston College. But... Those two games are at home, so if you're in town and want to catch some soccer, you can catch the, both, of them game, both of those games at the Plex and just see them in person. It's more frustrating, I think, if, if the ACC Network situation keeps on later in the year when, like you said, because a lot of those games are going to be on the road. Carolina's on the road, Duke is on the road, Virginia's at home, but uh, and another one at Clemson is a decent, I, I don't think they're ranked, but they are one of the, more, one of the better unranked teams in the nation right now. That's also a road game. So again, only chance to see them is on the network or on the on the ACC network extra. Unfortunately, no, it's a it's a team worth watching along with your tension. I mean, we're we're as crazy as it is to say we're I think uh, around two months, maybe a little less away from basketball season. Yeah, and that's why we're going to do these two podcasts because pretty soon. Right now, it's mostly football, soccer's playing, but. Before you know it, we'll have the big overlap where soccer will be getting down to the nitty-gritty, football will be in the second half, basketball starts, and then you have that cluster of everything going on. So a lot to cover, and that's why we'll we'll, we'll bring you a couple per week. No doubt. We uh, we appreciate you for listening. Encourage you to, to like, subscribe, all of the above. We, we appreciate the support. We will uh, talk to you next time.